I, I had a few people take me aside in the last, I don't know, couple of months, and they said, uh, just kind of privately, Josh, you, uh, you kind of say the word sex and the word prostitutes a lot in your sermons. Like, I even had a staff member come to me like, like is that just kind of like the only thing you ever talk about? My, my only comment to them was, uh, oh, thank you. It's because I was worshiping Jesus with such intensity. That's awesome. Thank you. So people told me, you got to stop saying sex and, and prostitutes. And I was like, well, Jesus hung out with a lot of prostitutes, and that's all over the Gospels. But I, I tried to kind of pull back on that. I was kind of mindful of those two words and, and, and to kind of honor some wishes there and live in that tension. Uh, but today... Um, I may use both words in the same sentence, so I wanted to kind of give you the heads up. This is a really, really important issue, and for those of you that may be grandparents, you may be struggling, why does this really matter? It's probably because um, it is affecting your kids and your grandkids. In fact, okay, this is kind of shocking, but it is statistically true. It's no different inside the church or outside the church. If I took every man in this church and put him here, and then I took every man out of our school, you know, as a father who may not be a part of this church, and I brought him in here, and then if you handed me a rock, okay, and you blindfolded me, and I just blindly threw it out here, I have a 50-50 chance of hitting a man right in the forehead who watches pornography regularly. And the statistics, actually, with women is now on the rise as well. And you may have noticed in the church, this is a kind of an interesting thing that's going on, um, as culture changes, pastors are, are obviously are, are people too and can be subject to kind of cultural pressure um, as well. So as a result, <clears throat> walking and talking and, and preaching through um, divorce becomes more of a challenge culturally now for pastors, may not want to talk about it as much. And if you think about it, it makes sense because all of a sudden now maybe their parents were divorced. Maybe their friends have been divorced. Maybe their own kids are struggling in their marriage. And so all of a sudden, due to shame and guilt and, and stuff that's happening in our world, you start to live in a world in, within the church where you don't hear certain messages as often. And I hate to say it, and it's heartbreaking, okay? It's heartbreaking. But I would contend the reason you don't hear this subject broached often in the church is because deep down I think we have a lot of pastors that are struggling with this. Some statistics I've seen are already in the 30 percentile of pastors. One in three secretly deal with this issue. So how do you ever stand up here and talk about it? So I want you to know that, that this issue is really, really important because it eats at the soul and the boldness and the courage and the leadership and the focus of a man on his wife, and it is slowly even degrading just the, the precious aspects of a woman's heart and her devotion and her love to her family. It is, it is taking a toll on the entire family structure, and it starts with what happens with those individuals and within their marriage and so on and so forth. So um, this is kind of a difficult topic. It may be a hard topic, and um, I want you to hear on the front end how unbelievable God's grace is. I want you to know that. And um, that you have victory in Jesus Christ already here and now. And one of the things that I hope will come from this is that if you are kind of secretly struggling with this, that you would understand that you can come and talk to me, um, you can talk to a brother in the faith, and that by shining light on that, 
It doesn't make you some closet perv or sicko. It means that there's something that, that has been a struggle for you, and there's freedom in talking about it. There's freedom in bringing that out into the light, and Jesus actually will set you free. You may struggle for the remainder of your days, okay? But he can actually set you free from that particular vice. So if, if that's you today, there's no judgment on you. This isn't me going to pull out a hammer today and knocking you on the head because you're just an idiot. That's not it. But we've got to talk about it and frame it in God's grace and his mercy for your life, understanding that this church's greatest desire is that your marriage would be awesome, that the passion in your marriage would be revitalized again, and that your kids would sense that and they would be changed through it. It's never too late. So with all that in mind, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for meeting us here. And as we deal with a really hard topic, we ask Jesus that you would fill us, that you would sense that there is, there's comfort and there's peace and there's hope in a future that's found in you, in you alone, that Jesus, we don't need to live in shame. We don't need to live under the weight of guilt. That's exactly what the enemy would want us to do. And we ask Jesus that you'd set some people free even in this moment, even in the next hour, that you'd remind us that Jesus, you actually show up in the places in our lives where we are the most ashamed. You don't ask us to come here and get cleaned up and put a big smile on our faces. You ask us to come to you at your feet just as we are and you graciously meet us and so, Lord, we ask that you would do this work today. Holy Spirit, um, just move in this place in a profound way. It's in your name. Amen. So uh, if you haven't been here in a while, we're in an uh, eight-week series called The League. And so we parallel dating and relationships and marriage to the NFL. And week one, just as a recap, if you haven't been around in a while, week one was, of course, um, the combine. Okay, and what is the NFL combine? It is when you were evaluating talent and what kind of talent fits the scheme that you want in your life and what kind of talent is going to have the right kind of chemistry and wants to go the direction that you want to go. And we said the combine is dating because that's all you're doing is evaluating talent and do they fit your agenda and what you want to do. And we said one of the problems with that is that dating is really all about what you can get and yet marriage is all about what you can give. And we just kind of asked some difficult questions, and one of them being if, if your marriage is stale, if there seems to be something that's kind of wrong, that, that the argument was that maybe the seeds of that go all the way back to that dating experience. And it's still, what can I get? And that found its way into your marriage, and now you've, you've kind of got this fracture, and now it's a full-on break, and now you're right at the brink maybe of just kind of throwing the whole thing away, or you're just complacent in your marriage. Um, Week two, we talked about draft day. What's draft day? You put on the hat and the cap. You shake the commission's hands. All of your friends and family are there. What an amazing day. And we said, that's your wedding day. And how do you, how do you prepare for draft day rightly in a way that is God-honoring? Well, today is building your team. And I had a great conversation with Kevin leading up to this about this idea of, of building your front office. Kevin had some wonderful insight on that. And so we're going to talk about a few things like how do you build your front office? I mean, we all know that we're sports fans in this room, I don't care if it's baseball, basketball, or football, you can have all the talent on the field in the world. You can have the best intentions. You can have the most 
a sold-out crowd. But if the people at the top, the front office, are dum-dums, okay, you're in for a lot of heartache, okay? Detroit Lion fans, you understand what I'm saying? Lots of talent never goes anywhere. You can only blame the players for so long. Los Angeles Lakers, they hated Kobe Bryant. You know the point guard we just got at Houston? Chris Paul, right? Could they have messed that up worse? He was supposed to be at L.A. Who knows how many championships they would have won. They ruined his career. It's my opinion, okay? Front office. Front office. Who's whispering in your ears about the decisions that you make? The choices that you make? Who you draft on your team? So we're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about what's the values that you set in place that kind of guide that process, and then ultimately, um, what begins to eat away at the team that you create. Now, when we talk about front office, I'll just say this. I was in like a a youth group from literally junior high uh, that carried all the way into my college years. We had about eight of us, and of that eight, we were super weird because out of that eight, three of us would become youth ministers. And so my front office was bizarre. I'll fully admit that. It's unusual to have that many guys that then go into ministry. From seventh grade on, you knew each other. And by the time you hit your senior year in high school, I mean, there was no issues talking about whatever. You, you'd experience so much of life together. And I had the blessing of that all the way through college. And then I started working at a place called Salem Lutheran Church in Tomball, Texas. And I met this pastor, because I have to be honest, um, if you have kind of an issue with pastors, like, uh, oh, they're not normal people, um, they don't walk, they float or levitate, um, they don't have real issues, um, I had all of that baggage. That's the great irony of me now being a pastor, okay? So if that's you, I kind of get it, all right? And uh, I met this guy, and he was the pastor at, Pil- at, at, at Salem, and he, and he still is, and he just kind of engaged my life at a time when I was dating and, and trying to figure out, like, How do you discern who's the right person for your life? And we just had unbelievably open dialogue. And I mean no filter, okay? Take that as far as you want. Zero filter. And the beauty of being able to know that not only is Jesus watching everything I do, that I'm most likely going to have a conversation about everything that happened. And so I have to tell you, I'm coming from that perspective of, of a front office of people that God put around me and also people that I sought out that equipped me very, very well in this life. And so um, that's my experience. And so we're going to look at all of that for you today. Who are the people that you put around you? What are the, the value system? What's kind of like your team motto, okay? And Paul has an interesting kind of idea of what his team motto or slogan would be. You've probably, those of you who played sports, you've heard your coach just rail, hey, there's no I in team. But if you look close, you do a little work, there is a me, okay? There's also I and win. I'm kidding. Don't tell your coaches that. You will run, those of you that have kids. It's never a good idea. Um, But this is, Paul kind of lays out what should be kind of your guiding thought process that informs what you do, okay? So this is Ephesians 5, 1 to 20, and I'm actually picking it up just two verses before um, your reading today. And here's what he says. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So so Paul is saying right out of the gate, the purpose of our lives in this room, 
is to reflect who Jesus is. Number one. And to sacrifice in the way that Jesus would sacrifice. And that would play out in the way of your family. Another way of thinking of it is if, if you're married and you have kids, it's like saying, okay, what's my purpose? Well, the breath in your body exists for making Jesus known. Well, I'm not a pastor. doesn't matter. My life exists. I have a breath in my body so that when people even come in contact with me, they have some experience through my kindness, my generosity, or when the Holy Spirit opens up that moment of uh, reflecting who Jesus is. My heart pumps in my chest, not for me. It pumps for the woman that God gave me graciously. Therefore, that purpose of why that is even happening in my life is to serve her Right there. The blood that flows in my veins, its purpose is to be passed on to the next generation. I haven't even gotten to me yet. What do I want? doesn't matter. So he's saying that's how deep that sacrifice is. When Jesus walked on this earth, all of him, his mission, fully God, fully man, was to give himself up fully for his church. That's everyone in this room. To seek and save the lost. Everyone outside of this room that's lost. And so Paul is saying... Just get it. That's why you're here. That's who you're supposed to reflect in your marriage, in your relationships. It's this same feeling. I know it's daunting. It gets worse. Hang in there, okay? So here he goes. He would say that your motto would be a heart of thanksgiving. A heart of thanksgiving. And watch what he says. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any other kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such as a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ of God. Now, just so you understand, 2,000 years ago, okay, here's what the early church was up against. Corrupt, power-hungry politicians, okay, and sex, sex, and sex, okay? This is what the early church was up against. I'm so glad that we've evolved so much in 2,000 years, aren't you? No longer issues in our culture. We finally figured it out. Our politicians are no longer corrupt. And no longer is the church having to take on the religion of self and sexual behavior and depravity. Good news. So we can all leave. Let's pray. Just kidding. So this is what they dealt with. The early church is trying to coalesce these people that weren't Jews. They're Gentiles. They're outsiders. And they have this thing called temple prostitution. And men in that culture had no problem worshiping. Okay, And they would go in and see the temple prostitute and they believed that there would be all kinds of blessings that would be rained down upon them. And what Paul is telling them, whenever you act that way, you're reflecting a fake God. Who you are is lost. You're not reflecting Jesus. You're not reflecting the God that created all things. You're buying into a lie. And if you notice what he does with this text is he takes the word thanksgiving and he puts it up against everything else. Sexual depravity, immorality, impurity. See, in this camp, lens everything is for everything that is for me. What I want. What serves me. And Paul says the exact opposite of all of that that is for self is a heart of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. 
of gratitude, thanking Jesus for what he brought you, what he's put inside of you, the people that he's brought into your life. This is selfish, lacks humility. This is all about humility. See, this is what pornography is. Pornography is what you want here and now for me. I am owed. I have this desire. I want this right here, right now, this scenario. I want to watch this. I want to experience that. Not, thank you, Jesus, for the life that you've given me and the woman that you've put in my life. And you, Jesus, are all satisfying. No, 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 I'm not satisfied. I want everything here and now in my way. And that's pornography. You know, what's so interesting is how differently we like to peddle pornography. Because, see, for men, there's no script. We don't need one. We don't need words, okay? We don't need some beautiful plot or romantic plot. We just need the images and the action. So see, what this ends up telling young men is that a woman is a commodity to be used, to be abused, to be used up for your purposes. So now we have young boys, and, and the study's already saying seven, eight, nine years of age already being exposed to pornography, and they have this unbelievably twisted view of the purpose of a woman in their lives. What they see is not how to romance a woman, not to pursue a woman, not to lift her up and make her something special. No, no, no. The experience they have is I walk into a room and I take off my pants. And you're turned on. Right, ladies? Anyone's been married forever, that's all he's got to do is walk in the room. Am I right? That's your life, right? This is, yeah, okay, this is how that works, okay? So you just walk home. Honey, I'm home. Right? Honey, why'd you uh, throw a shoe at me? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, you haven't showered in two and a half weeks. You haven't, you haven't slept in two and a half weeks. Okay, it's because of the baby. Oh, that's right. That, is that the same big baggy tea for the last two days? You have some baby food spit up right there. So you're not turned on just because I walked in the room. Okay, should I go put on my pants now? Yeah, you know what I mean? That's the lie that, that they're being fed. And anybody that's been married more than 10 minutes knows that's not how things play out. So now you have men walking around just eternally and constantly frustrated. That's not how it's supposed to play out. Every plot I've ever seen is supposed to feed me immediately. But ladies, okay, here's the flip side. Here's what we do to sell you pornography is we give you lots of words and we give you a beautiful plot and then we put kind of this tension, this romantic tension and the perfect kind of dysfunctional man in your life that you can either read about or you can watch on a movie and it's okay because here's the thing, okay? He's a man that's emotionally distant, right? But he loves his mother. He's really, really driven and he's hard driving businessman. He doesn't speak much, but when he does, it's so poetic. He's so deeply broken. If you would just reach out and fix him and all he needs in all these plots is your love. That's it. You can fix him. See? And so then at the, the moment of romance, see what do they tell you ladies, right? It's a romance novel. It's romance. We, put, we'll, we even put a different packaging on it. And so when you're reading what you're reading or when you're watching what you're watching, no, they're not having sex. That's what men do. That's just coarse. What, what, what are we doing? You know that? No, no, no. You're not having sex. It's not pornography. What it is is they are 
making love. They're not having sex, they're making love. What does that mean? Making love? You know what Jesus said about love? Jesus says there's no greater love than this that a man would lay down his life for his friends. That's how Jesus defines love. I just wish one of the disciples, right after Jesus said that, would have asked him about making love. That would have been great. There is no greater love than this, that you would lay down your life for your friend. Amen. Yeah, uh, Jesus, uh, just a quick question. Uh, Are you sure love uh, isn't something that you can make? To hell with thee, Judas. You know what I mean? Whatever it could be, right? It's not what you make. But that's how they package it. And let me tell you what they're doing now. It's unbelievable. Here's what you do. Because now we can get men and women to watch pornography together. It's simple. Lots of violence. Things that blow up. A tough guy, maybe even two tough guys. Throw a lot of production and money behind it. Make it epic. Dudes dig that, right? The average dude digs that. But then we will put a romantic twist right in the middle of it. Oh, if she could just get to him and he could get to her, if they would ever just kind of figure that out, okay? And then what you do is all you have to work in is three to five minutes of softcore pornography, three to five minutes every other episode. And now a husband and wife are sitting right next to each other, consuming. Before we move on, I, I want you to know this. Standing up here in front of you, I know what it's like to fall to temptation. I know what it's like to believe that God can't use you because you're unworthy. And I just want to remind you, if that's your struggle in this room, that you got to shine light on it, and there's freedom in it. The taste of God's grace is just beautiful. And what will happen is you will find as a man, if you're a man in this room struggling with that, you will find a renewed focus and passion for your wife that you didn't even know existed. There will be a boldness in your heart and a strength within you that you didn't even know was there. And for the ladies that are dealing with all of that, you will suddenly stop looking at this lazy slob, okay, who just has a normal nine to five and he doesn't walk around with a sword and a shield and a Viking hat, okay? He's just a little more boring than that. But all of a sudden, you'll see this amazing man of God Yeah, he clocks in and he clocks out and he does the same thing every single day and he loves you. Verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. What he's saying is do not surround your front office with people who do not fear love and trust God. It's okay that you have friends out there who aren't believers. That's okay. I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you that when it comes to the real heart issues, like in your marriage, okay, and you're just getting sick and tired of the situation that you're in, or you're trying to figure out who you should be dating, 
okay, and whether or not they are up to a standard that's God-pleasing, you can't have people around you that you talk to and you interact with that don't fear, love, and trust Jesus. They're going to give you terrible advice. Pack it in. Move on. She doesn't get it. He's a bum. I mean, whatever it is, who's in your front office this morning? Who are the people that whisper in your ears? Because if they're not following Jesus, those individuals, if they're not there, that's what Paul's saying. It's just empty words. It's taking up oxygen. And it's not going to serve you well long term. It won't. He goes on to say this. For you were once in once darkness, but now you are light. The Lord lives as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient, disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes light. What he is saying is the darkest, most shameful things that you deal with, maybe it's even pornography, like literally. He's saying that when you will speak that, when you will share that, when you will open your heart and pull out what is in the darkness, Jesus will do something amazing with it. When you have met, think about this for a second, the people that maybe have probably, probably impacted you the most as God followers, as people who walk with Jesus, there's almost always some chapter in their life that was really dark. And you don't look at them, think about it, you don't look at them and go, oh wow, you were really messed up. You go, wow, how amazing is Jesus? How powerful is Jesus? And it becomes attractive to want to know more about who Jesus was and more of their story. And that's what he's saying. When you bring this out, so good is the power of God that you don't have to live in shame. That when you'll expose it, it won't turn on you. It actually makes Jesus look that much more powerful, that much more loving, that much more amazing. That's what he's saying. So my question is this. What is your last 10%? Your last 10%. See, the last 10%, that was a phrase that was shared with me with Doug, this pastor at Salem. And the last 10% is the 10% you don't talk about. The last 10% is where your secrets hide. The last 10% is where your hidden motives live. And any time you've ever seen something just explode in somebody's relationship, the last 10% is where that idea that thought first lived and incubated and grew and got stronger and stronger until to you one day you just went, that doesn't make sense. Why would they do that? That's where it lived, the last 10%. Um, When I was, uh, I got permission from my beautiful wife this morning to share this with you. When I was in my mid- Early, mid-20s, I'm, I'm in the dating scene, okay? And I got to know uh, this young lady. If you want to know how long ago this was, she was the person who cut my hair. Okay, that's how long that was. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I had a pretty good head of hair, okay? And my social life was built all around that hair. That's why I'm bald, because now I've got a laser focus on Jesus. There's just nothing to look at in the mirror. It's just blank landscape. That's it, okay? But back in the day, it was looking all right. And so every two weeks, three weeks, I would go have my hair cut at this one person, this one girl, attractive 
young lady. She was attracted to me. There was attraction there. She was not a follower of Jesus. And I came to know kind of her social agenda was a little bit different than mine, okay? And so here I am, uh, kind of stuck with this thing that I hadn't really clearly defined, and I'm at a youth night, of all things, with my youth group, and all of a sudden I get a text message. And this text message basically says, hey, um, can I come by and see the pool at your apartment? Now here's the deal, okay? The last 10%. I knew the vibe. I knew what had already been discussed. I knew the nonverbals that were already happening. I very easily, operating in the top 90, could have said this. She just wants a private pool party. After the pool's closed, she wants to go swimming. We're going to go swim laps at my apartment. You know what? I'm sure this is just like a pool party like when I grew up. I'm sure of it. She's probably going to bring Capri Sun and orange slices. That's all we're going to do. Just going to dog pedal in place, and then I'm going to send her home, right? And I knew instantly I was in trouble. So I did the most awkward thing I could think of. I showed my phone to two of my volunteers. I said, look at this. I said, will you pray for me and pray over this text message? About a week or so later, we got together for coffee and I confessed my love for Jesus. And it just ruined every bit of that from that point on. Not always great, not always perfect, okay? I don't, again. But who's on your front office team? Who are you sharing the last 10%? Who do you share that with? And if you don't have a godly friend, please go make one. We have nothing in common. doesn't matter. We just be my friend. And share what's going on in here. Because it's in here where there's destruction in your marriage. With your friendships, with your relationships, with the decisions that you'll make. Verse 14, this is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live. Look at this. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Here's my next question for you. What checks and balances do you have in place in your marriage? Of what you're putting in your head, what you're putting in your heart. So this is our thing in our marriage, okay? Before we watch something on Netflix, we type in Google, parental guide, the name of that show. And it'll tell you everything that's going to happen in every episode in graphic detail. And then we have to make a choice. Do we want to watch that, that bad? Okay? And I'll tell you the other thing we do. Why? Because I, I don't have any shame in telling you this. I don't trust me. Like, I'm your, I'm your pastor. I understand that. I love Jesus. I follow Jesus. But I don't, I don't give myself that much room. So I, I try to expose it like he's saying, and I try to defer judgment to someone I trust. So when we even watch a movie, guess who has the remote? I almost, ne like, like 2% of the time I'm ever holding the remote. I usually throw it at her, okay? Because what I don't need is a completely naked woman on the screen and all of a sudden be like, oh, I can't seem to get this 
remote working. You know, oh, the batteries just came out. Oh, no, well, let me pick them up. You know, like, I don't need to do that. <laughs> you take out the batteries and throw them around. And, oh, this is really terrible. Um, so I defer that to her because, see, she has no problem shutting down another woman to protect her husband. And she might fast forward it or she may just straight up turn it off. Yes, ma'am, you know? It's that important. And then it communicates to her, that's how much you matter to me. That's us, okay? I'm just sharing that. And maybe you, don't, maybe you need that kind of check and balancing. And do, do you have that? Or are you just kind of running wild making your own choices? And that, I just think that's really dangerous. I don't even live that way. I don't. So, <laughs> uh, verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, look at that, hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from the heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's not saying live as a musical. Okay? You don't need to walk around just singing all day with everybody, right? Okay, welcome to Pilgrim. Pull out your hymnal. How are you, Kevin? Like, that's not what we're doing. It's not, okay, newsies kind of thing. Sound of music. He's just saying in the same way that um, sexual depravity and all of these things would, would be in your mind and in your heart and take control of you, in the same way Jesus... His word and his truth should be seeping out of every single pore, should be pouring out of your heart, should be defining how you think and how you speak. It takes control in the exact same way. So you don't need to, to start the Partridge family. It's allowing God's word to take complete control. You know, I want to just share something with you when it comes to psalms and prayers. I know that a week ago, um, I really freaked some of you out um, uh, when I talked about fasting. And I, I, I want to just share one thing just real quick with you when it comes to that, what he's talking about, of that just kind of taking you over. You know, um, for me, all I knew to do as a sinful, broken man was communicate to God, the God that I love so much, the sincerity of my heart. That God with a full heart and an empty stomach I desire to have a marriage over the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years where I love this woman faithfully. God, I desire that these kids, um, because they're going to get cynical because their old man is a pastor and they're always going to be on a spotlight, um, God, just please don't make them little drug addicts. But you know what? If that ends up happening because Satan doesn't give up and, and it's somehow in your perfect and pleasing will, then just please already protect them Jesus, please do that. And then God, please, the men and women in this room, light a fire in their hearts. Not talking about church attendance, not talking about money or any of that. Just please do something special in their lives. And so I would very much connected to Scripture, very much connected to, to talking to Mallory and, and, and what um, was God pleasing and all of that. And that's why I broke my fast, by the way, on our um, date night. That's when I ate again. It's with right here. And I'm not telling you as men that you need to kind of like man up and don't eat all week. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that as your pastor, I just wanted to pull back the curtain and just give you an idea that that, that, that desire 
um, is there and that that desire should be there for you and it doesn't need to look like it did for me. But if you want that to happen, that's what he's saying. Psalms and prayers and the truth of Jesus should spill out of every pore. You know, um, in closing, we say things to each other and for the longest time I got it. And I've now spent 80 grand on an education and the older I get, I feel like my questions have gotten only bigger and my confusion on things has only persisted. Like I'll give you an example. We tell people, wait on the Lord. We just need to rest in the Lord, right? Just trust in the Lord. I have to tell you, standing up here in front of you, I have no idea what that means. I did 10 years ago. I knew everything 10 years ago. I I don't know. Here's what I believe is happening when people say, wait on the Lord. You know what I think that means? I think that means we wait on the Lord after we have tried everything else, run into every hurdle, every speed bump, and every brick wall, and we are now out of options. You know when I think we rest in the Lord? I think we rest in the Lord when we are exhausted from trying to do it our way. And you know when I think we trust in God? I think we really, if we're honest, we trust in God when we have failed ourselves for the last time. And so I want to just leave you with this text because from here we're going we're to go right into communion and I hope you hear this in a different way because that's grace, see? Failing, failures, brokenness, trip and fall, fall flat on your face and yet Jesus just keeps pressing in, moving in. You're embarrassed, he's not. You're ashamed, he's not. You've failed again and again and again and he comes through again and again and again, meets you in the places in your life that you're convinced right now, sitting here, are untouchable by God's grace. And it's just not true. So I want you to see what a Savior, whenever you and I lack the ability to thank God, when you and I lack the ability to sacrifice for our spouse and to sacrifice for our friends and to sacrifice our very selves for this world, okay? This is what Jesus actually says, and I want you to see this in Matthew 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when they had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you. This is my blood, the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus, in that moment, so you're really clear what's happening here, is not just breaking bread and and, and doing the whole wine thing and thanking his father for the meal that he has like you will do at lunch or dinner or breakfast or whatever. Yes, he is doing that. He's also thanking God in that moment that his body would be broken. He's thanking God in that moment that his blood would be spilled. And he's thanking God in that moment that he would sacrifice himself fully and completely even when you don't the grace of Jesus taste and see that the Lord is good know that God meets you wherever you're at this morning and know that whatever you bring out into the light all you will experience is freedom and love in the arms of a savior That is what is yours in Christ Jesus.